Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Marriage Podcast. I'm Carrie, and I'm a wife, mom, relationship strategist, and have been a practicing psychotherapist for 25 years. Consider this your new home for real, honest talk that you can only get in a therapy session until now. I'm here to empower you to create a marriage that fills you up from the inside out. And my goal is to share insights that resonate with you and create the kind of aha moments you need for deepening your connection with your partner. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of couples just like you to show you that there's so much more to marriage than just checking a box. We can't do the midlife marriage podcast without having an episode about the midlife couple. So this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about the midlife couple and it's unique challenges for the couple. So uh, what I'm going to cover is I'm going to sort of define midlife logistically, but also psychologically. We're going to talk about some of the shifts that happen in midlife, uh, some of the unique aspects of midlife that are not part of any other stage of life. I'm going to touch on the midlife crisis, which I think I'll probably do another episode on only on the midlife crisis. And then I'm going to be talking about ways to stay connected during this very challenging stage of uh, your marriage. So I'll be giving you some strategies and some tips for that. So let's dive in. Okay, so midlife is big. It's a long period, 35 to 65. So 35 is considered early midlife. 40 is really full midlife. But if you're 35, you're actually entering early midlife. So it really does encapsulate like the good part of your adult years during your marriage. It's, it's midlife is marked by a time of a lot of personal reflection, life evaluation, and potentially a midlife crisis. There's also heightened responsibilities that come in midlife, like roles are changing. You're, maybe your kids are entering adolescence or they're going to college or you've got aging parents. This is also often the time when career, your career is peaking, which brings about its own set of challenges. There's something called the sandwich generation. When you're caring for teens, your, your kids, you're caring for your kids who might be teenagers or could be school age earlier, and, and your parents who are aging. And so I'm going to sort of tell a bit of a story about this as it relates to me personally. Another thing is, is uh, you know, one partner may sort of want to drastically change careers at this time or pursue like a long lost passion that they had, which leads to financial and lifestyle shifts. And so this is, this was a shift that happened for us. And then you're dealing with the external pressures, launching kids, aging parents, maybe even career plateaus. So there's a lot of stuff potentially happening in your career also at this time. So there's family. So there's your family of or your, your immediate family, which is the one you created and what's going on with your kids. There's your extended family, which what's happening with your aging parents. And then there's the outside forces around, you know, what's going on with career. And then of course there's physical changes that have an impact on intimacy. Bodies changing, women are hitting perimenopause and many menopause during this stage. Um, and I'm going to have someone on here to really speak more in depth about that. And so that impacts intimacy, can impact how you feel about your body, uh, your libido, your drive, all of those things. So let's talk a little bit about kind of this idea of like the shift in identity, because this is really a big thing what happens in midlife. So there's a major identity transformation that happens 
during the decade of the 20s for the individual. And this is really where the person is starting to develop into their own, who they are, who they're going to be. So if you can think about from 20 to 30 as an individual, you're really different. I mean, it's, it is one of the most transformational decades as an individual. But what happens in midlife then is people start to reevaluate personal goals, which is not, there's no reevaluation happening when you're in your 20s. You're actually doing the analysis for the first time, really. So the shift is, so you're sort of reevaluating personal goals and your, and desires like during midlife, like, what do I, like, what do I want? And this can lead to some changes in self-identity if you're not prepared for this. The other thing is that couples might start to grapple with evolving roles, like from full-time parents to empty nesters, from being very career-driven to those seeking more of a work-life balance, maybe even early retirement. Couples that, that like primarily identified as parents may actually struggle to sort of reconnect as a couple when their kids leave. So it's like you start your marriage as two, and then two becomes three and more. And so you're no longer that dyad. Now you're a triad or, you know, and so on. And then when your kids leave, you're back to a dyad again. And there is a, there is a, a shift. There is a learning curve there emotionally to really be able to adapt and adjust to that. So a uh, little sort of context of this for me. So when COVID happened, I moved my practice home like all therapists did. I had I had a practice. It was it it was previously five minutes from my house, and then we moved. So then it was about twenty five minutes from my house. But with traffic, I always left a lot of extra time. So I would leave my house really early. I would leave my house usually by seven a.m. and I wouldn't get home until seven p.m. and that was Monday to Thursday. And I was working a lot for years. I mean, years and years and years. I've been in the field for twenty five years, and so COVID was only three and a half years ago, coming up on four. So for many years, this was what I was doing, and I was really burnt out. But I was sort of like, felt like the rat race. Like I couldn't really get out of it. I felt very trapped. This is another thing that in midlife people start to think about. Like they start to feel trapped. They feel stuck. They don't know what else to do. So I was actually feeling very stuck. My career was, my, my practice was very successful, but I was so burnt out. I was just so exhausted. It wasn't feeling very fulfilling to me anymore in that way. And so, but I didn't have the time and space to really think about it because I was working so much. So when COVID happened, life slowed down, and then I really started going through this process of thinking about, okay, so where have I been, where am I, and where do I want to go? And when you are a psychotherapist and you work one-on-one, -on -one, you're, you're sort of like, you're, you're paying very close attention to the time. Like there's, you know, it's increments of 45 minutes. And so I was hypersensitive to time, not just while I was working, but in all aspects of my life and always felt like I didn't have enough of it. You know, while I was in session, I was, you know, running to the bathroom. I had a minute. I was eating lunch in 15 minutes and never enough time. Of course, all by my own doing because I could have really spread it out. But again, I wanted to be able to accommodate as many clients as possible. And so I sacrificed quality of life really for that. So what happens in midlife is that couples start to think about their quality of life more. This is, again, a time of personal reflection. How do I feel about my quality of life? So I began to think about that. And some of the things that were really important to me, I wasn't going to get if I continued on the trajectory that I was on. And that was, the, those things were time freedom. I really wanted to have more time. I wanted to have more white space in my schedule, which I didn't have. Because as I was working in the office Monday to Thursday, all day, 
Fridays, I had things. I had consultation meetings, peer group meetings, training groups. I was so Friday, I was not seeing clients, but I was pretty much busy. Saturday and Sunday, I would crash. I was just so exhausted. So I couldn't even like enjoy the weekend. I couldn't have fun. So what was really important to me as I started doing this reevaluation was I need more white space in my schedule. And as a one-on-one psychotherapist, that is not going to happen unless I drastically cut my caseload. And then I would still be away at the office. So then how do I navigate that? So as I started doing this evaluation, I began to make some shifts in how I work, how I practice, which is really what led me in part to expand into coaching so that I could have more flexibility and fluidity in my schedule, the way I structure my work with my clients, doing more group work, things like that, doing less one-on-one work. But what I really started to think about, so currently I'm 50. I just turned 50 10 days ago, 12 days ago. <clears throat> so this was three and a half years ago. So I was 47. I was like, wow, 47. And my daughter at the time was 11. She's 14 now. So I was like, what? If I, if I do this kind of work for another 20 years, I'll be 67. And then what? And then, and then I'm going to relax. And my husband's nine years older than me and he'll be 67, 76. Like I can't start like really enjoying life at that point. And, and so I knew I needed to make a shift. And so my husband and I had lots and lots of conversations about this because really what this led to was me really decreasing my therapy practice, taking some of that time so that I could build my other, my coaching practice, and then funneling a lot of our finances to building this other business. So all of that is happening. And it part of the identity shift for me was, was really thinking about how I always saw myself in this way and for my career. And I had to make a shift there, but I didn't have the kind of identity shift personally that I think a lot of people have in this stage of life, largely because I'm a therapist and I've been in therapy for a long time. And I always really have had very close tabs on my inner world and my psyche. But this is the kind of thing that would send someone, could send someone into a tailspin individually and in their marriage. And that is one of the things that leads to a midlife crisis for people. And so if we talk about a midlife crisis, let me sort of just jump to that for a minute. So the life stage, the psychological stage of development is called generativity versus stagnation. Okay. So it's like, if we felt successful in building a really productive life, and like we're contributing to the world, we've got meaning and purpose, then we feel like we've led a very generative life. If not, if we fail to do that, then we're going to actually feel like we have been stagnant. So the conflict that needs to be resolved at this psychological stage of life, it's generativity versus stagnation. And this is the time that a lot of people start to feel like, what's my meaning? What's my purpose? Am I really contributing? And I've actually always felt that because as a psychotherapist, I add a lot to people's lives just by virtue of the work that I do. So I've always felt meaning in that. But I recognize that there are plenty careers where people do not feel that. And so when you don't feel that you've got meaning and purpose, then you start to feel like, wow, what have I been doing? And then this, this sort of stagnant feeling sets in. Not stagnant, like I haven't been a provider or I haven't been able to, you know, support my family or be successful in functional in life and career, but really more purpose and meaning. 
And so what, what starts to happen then if one falls on the side of stagnation is you, you start to see what, what you see manifest is poor coping skills, emotional dysregulation, maybe even depression, but an overall dissatisfaction with life. Like, ah, oh, there's got to be more to this than what is, right? And that's where you would see a midlife crisis where you see people like, you know, they're buying very expensive sports cars or maybe they're having affairs or like new friendships develop or big impulsive changes, things like that. So that is in essence what would lead to a midlife crisis and and how they happen. But it is largely about your identity, your self-identity and all of your reflections on that. So let's sort of go back to the couple, what's happening in the couple. So... There's, as I've said with personal reflection, so there's an increased awareness of time. It's like, wow, I'm 50. How much more time do I have left? I was talking to someone the other day who said they were 45. They're like, wow, I'm halfway to 90. So there is a heightened awareness of time, which leads to a lot of pressing questions about like, how do I want to spend my remaining years? Which is really what, what I was asking myself was, what do I want? What's important to me? What do I value? Is what I'm doing right now setting me up for that? And to me, that was the million dollar question because when I answered that question really thoughtfully over a series of many weeks and my answer was no, I'm not actually setting myself up for that. Then I was really face to face with a decision that I, that I had to make, which was to begin to make a shift in the way I was, the way my career was organized. So the other thing happening here, a couple, couple of other things. One is uh, you also could be in the sandwich generation where you're caring for your aging parents and you're also raising kids. And so this, this is our case. So my dad, so in 2020, my dad had a stroke and we were caring for my dad. And since then my dad has passed on and my mom has had a lot of health issues and we are helping to care for her while we're also raising a teenage daughter. So this is really the sandwich generation. And if you could sort of think about it, you're sandwiched in between caring for the above generation and the below generation. And so it can feel like caring for yourself, your generation, you and your partner is squeezed out of the equation because the other two are very demanding, right? Raising young kids or teenagers is, it's demanding, it's taxing. Caring for elderly parents or aging or sick parents can weigh really heavy. So it's a really hard time for many couples. The other piece that's unique to this stage of life is preparing for empty nesting. So some couples are preparing for this all along. So they keep their relationship at the forefront, front of mind. So as their kids launch, they still have a very strong connection. But lots of couples don't do that. They put the kids first from the get-go. And granted, when you are a new parent and you have newborn, infant, toddler, they command your attention, right? So they really sort of do come first. But over time, we should actually be adapting based on whatever life stage we're in. And as they need less from us in the moment, that should free up more bandwidth to put to yourself and your couple. But a lot of couples do not adapt to this over time. And then what you see is, what I see is they come into my office and they're saying, we're really worried. Our last kid is getting ready to leave for college and we don't know if we're going to make it because we've actually not had any time together in the last 15 years while we were really raising our kids or more than 15 potentially. So they worry that they're too far gone. Now, I also have couples who come in 
when their kids are young, let's say like, you know, let's say school age, let's say uh, between eight and 10. And one of the things I really work with couples on at that stage, because they have plenty of time really before they are going to be empty nesters, is really starting to carve out time for your relationship to really prioritize it. And a lot of couples struggle with this. They say, you know what? We can't. Like, we only get our kids for 18 years. I really want to enjoy them while I have them. And then we will enjoy our marriage afterwards. And I have to tell you, that's a mistake. I understand the thinking. You only get to have your kids for 18 years. But but you're, but you're yes, you only get to have them for 18 years. So what's really important is that you're setting yourself up for what's going to happen after the 18th year when you're back with your partner. And that's who you're going to have, hopefully, for the remainder of your life and spend the latter part of your years with just the two of you. So couples really can struggle with this. I've had a lot of couples who either both of them struggled or one partner struggled and they, the, the other partner really wanted to put more energy into their marriage. But the other partner was like, you know what? I just, my kids are my priority. And so that's a real struggle in this stage of life for couples to navigate potentially. So how do you stay connected during this stage of life? So let's talk about that. Okay. First of all, I always say you have to prioritize your self-care and I don't mean manicures, baths, and massages, but you have to prioritize your self-care because you're facing your own existential issues at this stage of life and existential issues like your existence, like what's my purpose? Where am I going? What have I accomplished in this life? How much longer do I have? What else do I want to? Those are all existential issues. Like they are about your existence and they are not like wholly resolvable. You can come to terms with most of them, but there is no like solution per se because they are a normal part of moving through the stages of life. So because of that, you really want to prioritize your self-care. You want to make sure that you are doing things that give you meaning, that make you feel good about yourself, that give you purpose. You're also facing your parents' mortality your mortality, and your kids launching, all of which is very stressful. So prioritizing taking care of yourself, whatever that is for you. For me, what that looks like is my workouts are non-negotiable. I've They're scheduled in. They go in my calendar first. I've been doing them now for quite some time. So they're in my head, but they're in my calendar. My workouts are non-negotiable. I eat well. I mean, I fuel my body really well. I make sure that I'm taking care of that. I do yoga and I read lots of spiritual books in order to really nourish my sort of my soul or my spiritual side of myself. And so those are, those are really the basics for me. Those are kind of the non-negotiables. And then, you know, there might be extra things here and there. And that's just for me. And so I'm going to talk about how we prioritize marriage in a moment, but it's really important that you take care of yourself and you fill yourself up because you're not going to be able to be available for your kids or your partner if you have not filled your own tank, right? You know, they say you can't pour for an empty cup or the other analogy is put your oxygen mask on before helping others when you're on an airplane. There's a reason for that because if you can't breathe, you can't help anyone else, right? So it's actually a beautiful metaphor for thinking about how to make sure you're taking care of yourself in life so that you could take care of others. Now let's talk about prioritizing your marriage. So during, so as you're approaching midlife or you're in midlife, ways to prioritize your marriage, I say look for opportunities to schedule in dates, vacations, and intimacy. Okay. 
If you have difficulty finding time for intimacy, you're both working from home or your kids are home or one of you works outside of the house, you're homeschooling your kids, whatever it might be, schedule it in. I would say it's better to schedule it and have it than not schedule it and not have it if those are your two options. If you can have it without scheduling it, great. That's fine too. But definitely looking for those opportunities and carving them out. And I'm going to give you some specific examples in a moment. Having something weekly also that you can count on, that you can look forward to with each other. That This way you've got this anchor in your week and it's a way to ground you. Because the reality is it's too easy to become two ships passing in the night when life gets really busy and you've got... You, your kids who are growing up that you're taking care of and things actually, you know, they're, they're less needy, but, but the issues just become more complicated. And then you managing your own careers. And then let's just say you have aging parents or you have other things. Like it's very easy to become two ships passing in the night. So let's talk about some specific strategies here. Okay. So I'm saying have something weekly you can count on. Two things is what I like. And We've got the business side of the relationship and the personal side of the relationship. So on the business side of the relationship, I like for couples to schedule a weekly business meeting where you discuss only things business and anything non-urgent you save for that meeting because you don't want your marriage to become all about discussing logistics, schedules, what the kids are doing, because you lose yourself in that. So anything non-urgent would get pushed to this meeting once a week, 30 minutes, put it in the calendar. You could do it on Zoom if you're in two different places. You could do it over breakfast if you're both home and the kids are gone. You could go to a coffee shop, go out to lunch, whatever it might be. In all of my years of practice, some of the couples that came to me that had the greatest success were couples who already had like, they already, they were doing weekly lunch dates with their partner. It just was something that they had always done and they always did it. And it was a great touch point for them. So whatever it is for you, a weekly business meeting. Number two, a weekly date. Now for many couples, they say weekly, we can't do that. We don't have the time. We don't have sitters. If you can't do weekly, do twice a month. But this is your opportunity to nourish the personal side of your relationship, the bond, the connection, the love. And there is no talk about kids and schedules. This is just for fun. You could do it in the afternoon. You could go out to lunch. You could go try some new things. And what I suggest couples do is create a list of all the activities you could do. Because some couples say like, oh, all we do is go out to dinner. That's so boring. Create a list. Some of the things my husband and I have doing, we've done rock climbing. We're going to do pickleball. We've, we go canoeing. We'll go do a hike when the weather's decent here in Florida. But we sort of look for new things to do. Try it. You could do board games, uh, puzzles, whatever it is. It's just something fun and playful. So those are two weekly things. Let's talk about two daily things. Daily mindset checks and nightly stress-less convos. Okay, daily mindset checks. It's This is a check-in. Like, how are you? Like, really, how are you? It's not a, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. It's not that. It's Where's your head at? Like, what's on your mind today? Like, how are you really doing? And it's like, ah, you know what? I've got some heaviness because X, Y, Z is happening at the office. And I'm just really, ah, I'm just not looking forward to that. And so it's been on my mind. Really, the point here is twofold. One is to keep a pulse on what's going on in your partner's mind. Because the more you have their inner landscape, the stronger your relationship can be. That's number one. And number two, it's a way to stay connected in a busy world by doing these daily mindset checks. So that's number one. Number two is the nightly stressless convos. And these, I say, set a timer for five minutes, take turns. If you both don't need it, one of you does it. And what you do is 
set a timer for five minutes and you download about the stress of your day and you compartmentalize it to that five minutes. If you need 10, you do 10, but you all negotiate whatever that time frame is. Because what will happen otherwise is that all your stress from the day and the week will start to bleed over into other areas of your life. And there is such a thing as healthy compartmentalization. And this is another example of that. So this is a download. This is like, ugh, these are all the things that happened today. I'm so stressed. And there's a few guidelines. One of which is you don't give advice or feedback unless it's asked for. And number two is if they're complaining about someone at work or a friend, you don't side with the other person. And I say this because oftentimes partners want to help and they want to say, well, I can understand how so-and-so felt that way because you blah, 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 blah. So that's not helpful, particularly during this, this opportunity of stress-less convos. It's not helpful. What the person really needs at that point is for someone to hold space for them. So again, let's think about it. It's to stay connected and to have someone hold space for you while you share what you're going through. That is so incredibly cathartic, therapeutic, and healing. So those are two things you could do daily, and I give you two things you could do weekly. Now, there's a few other things. New boundaries. You might need new boundaries in life. This is where you might have to say no to more things, that you used to say yes to everything, and you might have to start saying no to some things because time is feeling like it's getting more and more limited, so you may need to do that. Scheduling intimacy back in if it's lost the vitality. I've already sort of touched on that. And there's a few activities that I do with couples in my work, which is, and I'm just going to describe them to you. So it's creating or updating your marital blueprint. So your marital blueprint is basically, it is a series of open-ended questions. You could use any questions, but it's like, what makes your heart sing? What, what keeps you up at night? What do you dream about? In another life, what would your career be? It's a way to really get the inner landscape of your, of what, of your partner's mind, their psyche. So, so I have couples do that initially, and I take them through a series of questions. I have them do it on their own. I send them a worksheet. And then I suggest that they update it. So during times of stress, it's a good time to update it. Not only does it give you more info about their inner world, but also it's very connecting. And the other thing that I like for couples to do is a shared vision exercise. You'd be surprised how many couples are actually not on the same page about retirement, about their goals, about where they want to live eventually, if they could live anywhere. So having a conversation about like, well, where do we want to be? Where do you see us in one, five, 10, 20 years? That's a great conversation. And then start to reverse engineer, working your way backwards, creating a plan to make that shared vision come to life. So you've got lots of things to try, lots of strategies here. Share this with your partner if you listened by yourself, because I think these are all really good things. And check the show notes below, because I'm going to link some things there for you, including my socials. You can follow me on Instagram and on LinkedIn. And if you like this episode, please consider subscribing to the show and leaving me a rating. Until next time, this is the Midlife Marriage Podcast.